Hey everyone, this is Doing Our Bit, the podcast about making games in the decade of climate action. I'm your host, Hugo Bille, and this week I'm having a conversation with one of the newest members of the IGDA climate group. Each week welcomes new members to the Discord server, all with different experiences and backgrounds to bring to the table. And what better way to get to know them than by putting them on a podcast? to talk about the ecological implications of their favorite video games. In today's episode, I sit down with narrative game designer Inari Burgenal and take a closer look at the game that kickstarted her ecological and political engagement, Final Fantasy VII. This legendary 1997 role-playing adventure, for those who haven't played it, uh, is about a small band of tenacious activists, you could say, uh, fighting to save the world from Shinra, which is kind of an oil company that sucks the planet dry for profit and power, as well as the dark god born from Shinra's hubris, a guy that you might have heard of called Sephiroth. This leads us on a wild ride through topics like the monomyth and the lone hero saving the world, uh, toxic masculinity, gender roles, individualism, things that, at first glance, you might wonder what they have to do with saving the planet. But on closer inspection, as ever, it's all connected. All right, there ain't no getting off of this train, so all aboard and let's go. Hey, it's funny to have you on the show because I mean, I don't know if you've listened to the previous episodes, but we keep talking about uh, how many people are joining the Discord and joining the SIG. And uh, this opportunity sort of popped up to actually speak to someone that just joined the SIG. Yep. So I'm psyched about hearing what what that's been like for you. Uh, So Inari and I, just, just for the listeners, we met on Twitter like last week. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you just seemed really interested in gaming and ecology. So I gave you an invite and you appeared. Yeah. And I, I think it turned out that you already knew a bunch of people that were in the group. Yes, indeed. Uh, some I met uh, in the UK, some others uh, are other narrative designers and we share a common Discord. So yeah, that happened. Uh, what was your first impression of the SIG? Had you heard about it before? No, not at all. Um, you actually mentioned it after I shared your Final Fantasy VII article. And I was like, oh, yeah. oh I'm in games. I'm green leaning, like strongly leaning, let's say. Um, why shouldn't I be there? So let's go. And yeah, I joined. Yeah. It's just one more Discord on the list, but it's an active one and it's a meaningful one. So I guess I'm pretty happy about it. Nice. Yeah, we've been fretting a lot lately about like how uh, the onboarding works to the Discord and to to the SIG in general. Like, can you? Is it possible to just get in there and find something to do, or or you know, find? Um, did you <laughs> understand what what's going on in the SIG? Because it's. I mean, it, some of the time we don't fully understand. It's so new and it's so chaotic. Yeah, it's it's a bit chaotic at the moment. I guess it's getting better now. There are the work streams, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, having jumped in the community call last week was pretty pretty nice. Uh, it made the my my vision clearer about how we work. 
Yeah. Uh, I think someone coming in might be scared by the amount of uh, information to process, actually. Um, maybe something central and visual, easy to access could be a first step for people because I, I think many people would be joining out of sheer interest, but they might lack the knowledge to get on board easily. So they, they might not know what to do in general uh, mm -hmm. because that like uh, ecology is a big part of my life, I think. Uh, and that might not be the case for anyone. Someone might be just starting. So when you're talking to them about carbon footprint and etc., it's not necessarily easy for them to understand, I guess. Yeah, everyone comes at this from from different backgrounds. Uh, and maybe we should just go into your background a little bit because it's it's funny. I've been doing this podcast for four episodes now, and this is the first time I actually speak to a practicing game developer. Oh, <laughs> uh, just like, you know, we're making a podcast about what it means to make games in the age of, of uh, climate action. And uh, we should be talking to game developers that actually do that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess, like, what what is it like for you to make games in the age of climate action? Was there a, a particular moment when you woke up to, like, the climate and environmental crises? Or have you always... I've always been uh, fairly concerned about the environment. Uh, like I said, Final Fantasy VII has had a huge impact on me. Uh, I discovered the game when I was eight or nine. Oh. And politically, it influenced me a lot. Uh, and since I said the, the P word, I'm just uh, saying m those are my views only and do not represent my employer. Ah, of course. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it influenced me a lot. Like I'm leaning heavily on the, uh, ecological anarchist side and as a, as a game developer in AAA company, sometimes you have to, uh, well, to, to separate your personal opinions and what you're doing in, in your life. Right. Um, especially, uh, especially today, uh, since everything is becoming more and more political, even though we don't necessarily say it mm -hmm. most of the time when i'm working i'm not investing my political or personal opinions in this because it it can become pretty overwhelming i've been working with games that were aligned uh, with my political views and social views etc but uh, in the past and tended to be working too much um, i've been burned out a bit before so okay. now i just separate the two of them uh, even though I like working on both uh, and I like uh, making games that help people in general, um, sometimes you just have to pay your rent, actually. Yeah. And uh, like you said in your article, um, even to fight something we dislike, we still have basic stuff to take care of. And like you can't resist if you're not alive. Yeah. There's the personal sustainability, right? Yeah. Uh, which is something that we've been talking about a lot in, in the SIG as well, because everyone working on this stuff is, is doing it as a volunteer. <laughs> uh, and uh, that, that's very different from like running a professional game development uh, project. I mean, many of us have an opportunity to... Uh, do our bit. <laughs> do our bit and work with climate action like in our professional roles and make our games greener in various ways. Uh, but I, the SIG also presents an opportunity that like, even if 
you don't have an opportunity to improve the games that you're working on. Or like you said, for personal sustainability reasons, you don't want to. Uh, that's not what where you want to spend your energy. Uh, another option is to just work with the SIG to uh, I mean, leverage your expertise, for, in your case, for example, as a narrative developer, uh, to uh, collect and, and figure out ways that other developers might be able to do make a difference. Yeah. Um, sh- sharing is caring, like they say. Uh, so giving a bit of your time and knowledge to help uh, furthering a just cause, let's say, uh, <laughs> is a nice way to do it. And that doesn't necessarily implies you have to burn yourself out. Sometimes you can try and improve them, like making perhaps uh, shorter games or preventing <laughs> uh, too too much of a carbon footprint by limiting the amount of data that that is necessary to run the game but yeah. it's it's pretty it's pretty hard to to measure when you're low in the hierarchy uh, so basically it's fairly hard to just change uh, what's around it. However, as narrative and game designers, we can more easily, I guess, um, work towards the message and what imprint we leave on people. Yeah, like Final Fantasy VII had on you, I guess. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> That's interesting. I've been thinking a bit since since uh, you and I got to talk about Final Fantasy VII and uh, I, I knew we were going to discuss this on the podcast. I, I've been like, how... How do we? How impactful has Final Fantasy VII actually been? Uh, and I, I sort of came to it from the from the direction of like we we know that it's this extremely popular game. It's it's defined a generation. You know the the people that grew up playing it. Yeah. It's defined their childhoods, our childhoods, uh, and. It also, you know, it, it's rooted in in this really radical sort of worldview. Uh, yeah, really we're playing terrorists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, even even without the the, the terrorist aspect, it's, it's quite radical. But yeah, that's where it goes completely overboard. You actually, I mean, they actually cast eco terrorists as the uh, the heroes, which is not something I condone. Uh, but yeah, uh, so. How is it that so little of the writing about Final Fantasy VII is about that? That, that, that sort of got me thinking about, has it had an impact at all? Uh, or are we sort of, do, do we put up this wall of denial where we all realize that, okay, this is a radical game, but we're not really going to think about it that way. It's yeah. just a piece of entertainment because it's so scary. But for you, apparently it, it, it has had a very deep impact. Yeah. Uh, because I hated cloud. Okay. Um, which is not the case for many people, I think, enjoyed the game back then. Because um, uh, we have a, a decade, decades-long uh, history of the hero. And yes. even today, we tell people to learn about the monomyth, which is centered about the hero saving the world. So... Um, when people see Final Fantasy VII, they're mostly focused on Cloud and Sephiroth. Yeah. Uh, because, oh, a hero is only as good as his enemy. Yeah, and Sephiroth is pretty damn amazing. So Cloud is pretty nice. Even though now I see most people prefer Zack. Well, um, I'm not that invested into Crisis Core. <laughs> but right. um, since I hated 
uh, Cloud, I've always been looking towards the other characters and what's behind the game. Like um, Red 13 really touched me when I was a kid. Uh, yeah, me too. Because having an animal in your team was pretty damn new. Uh, and later, Persona 3 made the same call with the Koromaru, okay. which is pretty pretty funny as well. But uh, yeah, we focus on this hero, antagonist, duality, and forget completely about what the rest of the game is about. I, I mean, maybe I should just explain that, that th sort of the reason we met is that I spent way too much time uh, last spring after the, the remake came out uh, writing this 14-page giant analysis of the whole game really from sort of an, an, a climate crisis perspective, I suppose, or what it's like to actually be an activist, uh, drawing on my time with Fridays for Future and to some extent Extinction Rebellion, uh, and comparing that with what Avalanche is, is doing, even though they, they, they're they a bit more violent <laughs> than any any of those groups. Uh, and, uh, and, and then it went on sort of imagining... Uh, how future episodes of the remake might uh, might sort of cover uh, the parts of the current climate discourse that weren't really existent in 1997 when when the original game came out. Uh, like there wasn't renewable energy in any in any meaningful capacity back then, and so the story of Final Fantasy VII was like either we have fossil fuels or we have nothing, and the, the remake story has an opportunity i guess to update that discourse a bit because it's a bit archaic at this point that that kind of stuff so anyway just wanted to say that, that that's the article that we keep referring to yeah and uh i've been willing to write a somewhat similar article about the first uh final fantasy 7 uh for years like like i said it has had a huge impact on me and um well, a uh, fun fact, by the way, Barrett in Final Fantasy Advent Children is actually back to coal mines. <laughs> after, oh, is he? Yeah. <laughs> after, I, I thought he like, went on an adventure to search for alternate sources of energy, but what, what he finds is coal then? Yeah, he, he used to be a coal miner. Yeah. Mako arrived, and when they turned back on Mako, he got back to coal mining. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> if I remember properly, I might be wrong. Uh, I, I recently played through the original as well, and I, I, there is a hilarious dialogue in a, in a flashback when you see their their hometown Coral turning from coal to uh, to Mako, and and it's it's very much like the the conversations you might see today with old coal towns turning to renewables instead. Like, but we we've been digging coal for generations, and it's it's our identity. Uh, yeah, but Marco is what what everyone is doing right now. It's the future. I hope they don't <laughs> remake that scene without some some serious changes because the the discourse around these things have kind of changed, and it's it's weird to uh, to tell that story about coal in twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two or three or whenever the next remake comes out. Yeah, it should be shorter. Let's hope for next year. Um... But yeah, there there's a lot of political messages in in uh, in Final Fantasy VII, and part of them might have been lost in translation, I guess, or added in translation. Yeah, indeed. I'm, I'm not um, sure. Me neither. Actually, I didn't play it in Japanese. I've played in French, the original one, and French translation is even worse than the English one. 
and it still had that impact on you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I've. It has had this impact because I dug so much into it. Like I bought every book about it, etc., to be able to know as much as as humanly possible. Like I even have uh, books about the system design and how it works and the how spread are the dialogues in the game, etc. So yeah. Uh, so I, I mean, th this experience you had with Final Fantasy VII and, and learning everything there was to learn about it and so on, I'm sure that hundreds of thousands of gamers share, share that um, experience. But what is the connection f from that to sort of how, how did it influence your worldview or, or your politics, if it did? Uh, well, it started with the Gaia theories. Uh, oh, okay. So there, oh, well... There, there were two games for me in the end of the 90s. Uh, those were Final Fantasy VII and Sid Meier's Alpha Centauri, okay. which is the follow-up to Civilization II uh, based uh, in, on another planet around Alpha Centauri, the, the star. And both of them uh, relies on the Gaia theory, treating the planet as a, as a whole and, well, as a huge ecosystem with smaller ecosystems in it. Yeah. And when I started considering this, um, well, it became hard not to think that everything we do has an impact on the planet. Uh, so that's where I started to be leaning towards ecology and thinking that our mm. governments are not prepared to, to, to do anything to save the planet. Like, if you're focused on being re-elected five years later... Uh, how do you want to have an impact? Mm -hmm. um, and so it led me slowly towards uh, anarchy, uh, which is not uh, the absence of law, but the absence of uh, people above you to tell you what to do or to take decisions that might not be in your interest uh, while being manipulated <laughs> by corporate interests. Because uh, let's be honest and... Uh, the the problem is the system, right? Uh, that's exactly what Final Fantasy VII is about initially, before it goes to Sephiroth. But um, <laughs> the thing is, yeah. in my opinion, Sephiroth uh, is a symbol. Like in my opinion, Sephiroth is the the monster of capitalism that broke his chain and broke free and tries to destroy everything it did. Like it's out of control. In my opinion. Uh, Sephiroth is globalization, ultra-liberalism, etc. Everything that comes from capitalism, capitalism is out of control, and that is Sephiroth. Okay. Because to, to me, Sephiroth is, is, I mean, when the moment they start focusing on Sephiroth is the moment that Final Fantasy VII sort of loses its political edge a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I, it's, it's very natural for us to, to try to sort of keep that thread running and find ways for Sephiroth to be connected to uh, what the Midgard chapter is about, which I yeah. mean is is very very heavy handed in in its portrayal of uh, social inequality and economic inequality and environmental inequality. Yeah, and I think in the uh, remake, even though you we 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 see uh, poverty in the slums, um, the 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 game the end of the game without spoiling it, 
uh, ruins the political message that is that has been spread, in my opinion, beforehand. So, but, but what did you think about the remake other than the ending? Did you, did you, did you enjoy the changes they'd made up until that point? Yeah, I, I liked the idea of using PTSD rather than uh, identification trouble uh, for Cloud. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, the traumatic experience he has with Sephiroth is pretty interesting. Um, I'm still mad at most Japanese games uh, into forcing us to play the same character. Like, I don't like Cloud still to this day. Um, he embodies stuff like most male players male players might want to be like someone very detached and powerful etc and uh as a trans woman i'm not interested into this Mm -hmm. Um, so i just wanted to be playing like tifa she's just beside she's there she's in your team most of the time like why can't i choose like um well you can choose for the for the fighting which character you start with but that's it and you're like yeah yeah but like I don't want to be playing a douche uh, that doesn't care about anything but himself uh, for the first couple of hours. Uh, so yeah. yeah, he changes with Aerith, and during the time he's with Aerith, he, he moves on as a person, and that was nice because uh, Aerith is a very well designed character in this one. I was really impressed with her as well. In the first one, I, I liked her a bit less, I guess, uh, but she became more witty in this one like uh-huh. she, she's always poking cloud about how tough he is etc so uh, i liked it uh quite a lot actually yeah i mean to my mind hating cloud was <laughs> was always kind of the point or <laughs> or, or, or like and i i'm starting i'm trying to discern how much of this is like intentional and and how much it, it just happened that way because he really is a, a sort of toxic masculinity yeah uh, kind of personified and that that is something that changes uh, over the course of the game and it changes even faster in the in the remake yeah and yeah you know as as he starts to to uh, meet Aerith and sort of get I, I guess inspired by her way of living which is a, a lot a lot more like selfless because uh, cloud the, the way the way I read cloud especially in the remake is that he, uh, doesn't understand collaboration. He doesn't understand being part of a collective. He just sees himself as, like you said, the lone hero, the one that people playing the game probably want to be. Yeah. Uh, but in, in a way, Final Fantasy VII trains those people, uh, you know, but by, by coming along on Cloud's journey uh, to learn to think more in terms of working together and selflessness. Yeah. Like Cloud is the character that changes the most in the game. It's mm-hmm. it's fairly easy because you know it starts pretty low, and ends up pretty like way better. He, he, he just reaches the levels the others are at. He, he tends to be pretty um, reluctant to change. Yeah, his way is how we survived so long, and it's part of the narrative that led to people going to the capital recently. Oh, how. How do you connect that? Well, the, the monomyth narrative is pretty dangerous because it mm. makes people think they're the one and they can do stuff alone. And even though they get together, it's still in a, a, a feeling of strength 
rather、mm-hmm. than pure cooperation. You know what I mean? Like it's sticking together because we are outcast and we're better than the rest. You know, there was a dude with a dishonored tattoo on his hand. Oh yeah, and dishonored is about is allegedly about fighting against、uh, corrupt people、uh, that are ruling the the country instead of the,、yeah. of the queen. But if you look at the mechanics, you're alone saving a country because、yeah. your point of view is the best, and、mm-hmm. that's the narrative、uh, that led people to the capital, in my opinion. And that's that's what cloud is in the beginning, but it changes. Yeah, I, I mean, th- there's a kind of rapport technique there, I guess, where where you. I feel like they start cloud off where they feel like the audience is. Yeah, and it, it takes a kind of cynical view of the audience, but maybe that's fair.、Uh, and then proceeds to turn him into what they what they hope the audience might become. Yeah, and it's an inspiring kind of character development in that way. And and like you said, Aerith is、uh, has become in the remake a really inspiring character.、Uh, I, I I felt like. She always had a lot of symbolism around her, like her being the sort of the flower girl. In in, she was almost literally the flower growing out of the concrete. Yeah,、uh, well, because her name in Japanese was Earth. Yeah, Earth. <laughs> <laughs>、uh, and so,、uh, I, I think I think in the remake they sort of fleshed that out into a character that I can、uh, that I can believe in, and and.、Uh, What I found really impressive with Aerith in the remake is that she, all of her sort of traditionally feminine coded powers, the the empathy, the healing, the taking care of the children, all that stuff, they're presented almost like superpowers. Yeah.、Uh, like almost all of, of of these games paint the white mage as something secondary or or something that's a lot less important than than the hero characters. Yeah.、Uh, where here, Aerith. Is is it's just clear that she has powers of empathy and community、uh, that the other people lack. Like when she comes into the Avalanche crew, she really brings、uh, something to that table that that traditionally JRPGs haven't valued. Yeah, indeed. Well, RPGs in general, I would say. Yeah, <laughs> fair. <laughs>、um, yeah.、Uh, I've been working with RPGs a lot, and the, the the field has been changing a lot. Also, in the past twenty years,、uh, thanks to the Forge and Ron Edwards, Vincent Baker's, Emily Carabas, and stuff like that, but people like that.、Um, mm-hmm. But it's still somewhat very、um, focused on heroic feats and who's the best, and it's not the safest place to be when you're、uh, different. Uh, when you're、mm. not a a, <laughs> a young cis male, it's pretty、mm-hmm. pretty difficult to get into the community because so many people there are toxic and feel threatened when someone they cannot relate to is coming in. Right.、Uh, and what's what's amazing about Final Fantasy VII is、uh, they they're very diverse. Especially for a game released in the end of the nineties, you know, like、mm-hmm. diverse. It talks about ecology when no one cares. Like the Kyoto Protocol was signed the year after the game was、yeah. released.、Um, 
so there there's a lot to this game uh yeah in my opinion it's the avant-garde game and seeing the end uh being made about destiny and the multiverse sorry for the spoiler now uh, <laughs> um yeah that that was really sad for me to witness yeah that, that, that's not what it's supposed to be about i mean i i can somewhat understand it as a, a sort of extravagant excuse to uh, do more interesting things potentially with the sequels but i mean that all comes down to what they decide to do with the sequels yeah well i felt it was too kingdom artsy it was definitely too kingdom artsy <laughs> Like, I'm okay with going away from the original game. Like, I'm very interested in the Wutai War that is going to happen. Like, I love it, but uh, fighting for saving realities is kind of missing the point of the game, in my opinion. (laughs) Yeah, it's about saving the planet. Yeah. Um... And that's that's precisely the type of message we would need nowadays. Yes. We end on save reality. That's true. Uh, I, I think they still have a chance to uh, to turn that around. But I yeah. mean, now that you say it, I mean, imagining how the remake, this first chapter of the remake might have ended uh, if, if they had focused on the sort of the corruption of Shinra and uh, the destruction of, of the planet and the live stream all to the end. And they, they'd made the ending of the first chapter about that. I mean that would have been really powerful at this moment in in, in yeah. our planetary history. Exactly. Because uh, <laughs> I, I do feel like this is, I mean, the remake comes out at just the right time when when we are all talking about this stuff anyway, about the climate crisis and the environmental crisis and, and how Shinra is just a, a, a lightning rod metaphor for all of society's ills, be it like environmental destruction or or inequality or war for that matter yeah uh i i did a take in the article and and imagine shinra as sort of a metaphor for colonialism in general yeah like they do a lot of different things but all of it is about exploiting poor people's resources in one way or another uh like waging wars on on poor nations so they can take their stuff or uh using the, the the slums of Midgar as slaves or indeed just pumping up the uh, the live stream from from the earth to keep the lights on and and essentially killing future generations right they, they're colonizing the future yeah which is what we're doing here as well yeah indeed or we I should I should say they <laughs> yeah it. well I, I I'd say imperialism as well uh, the the nuance is pretty deep anyway. Um, but yeah, Shinra is exactly what we should be fighting against at the moment. Like it's a it's a huge metaphor of the system, and if you if you look at the uh, at how Midgard is structured, you have the lower level with the slums. Above that, you have the upper plate with, with uh, rich people, and above that, you have the oligarchy, which is Shinra. And the president of a company is on top, while the mayor is a bit lower in the building. So there's a, a huge statement that money is ruling the city rather than politics. Well, 
politics are part of the economy or the other way around, whatever. Uh, they're the both of them have to work together anyway. So yeah, it's there's a there are huge statements and I, I just feel it's so wasted with the with the remake. I'm so sad about it. Like I don't hate the game. Uh, I, I would love to go back to it, but since I can't look forward to the ending anymore, <laughs> well, I don't want to. But it's interesting, like what, what you mentioned before with Final Fantasy VII sort of priming you for Gaia theory. Yeah. Uh, I, I wonder if we have also seen Shinra priming people for seeing I, I don't know capitalism or neoliberalism or just oligarchy uh like oh yeah I, i've seen this system before this is like final fantasy 7 that's evil yeah i, I don't uh, think that many people made the link uh no i mean that's where i i mean one one issue i guess is what ian bogost calls simulation sickness like you, you understand that in this fictional world, the system works like this, but you reject any idea that it would correspond to your world because it doesn't match your political leanings. Yeah, and uh, it's an uncomfortable message. I can understand that people reject it. You know what I would love to see in in this game and in in games like it. I, like Final Fantasy VII does a great job portraying the problem. Yeah, uh, all of, all of the problems really. Uh, but it completely chickens out of of portraying a solution. Yeah. Uh, because the solution is gets taken to this sort of cosmic level, and oh, actually, what gets Shinra in the end is that this magician summons this meteor. I mean, if if they are moving away from the sort of original story going forward, my dream is is to see an an actual believable sort of overthrowing of the Shinra rule how could avalanche actually get their shit together and unite uh people <laughs> in 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 a sort of political solution to this that that's probably never where these people are going to take yeah. this uh but i do think we 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 don't see enough games we we see lots of games that portray these problems but we don't see a lot of games that solve them or begin to solve them or or uh, imply how they might be solved in realistic ways. Well, I, I, it's far fetched, but kind of like the 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 direction you're suggesting makes me think of Mass Effect, where you have to unite the galaxy against yes. a common threat. Okay. Yes, I like that. And in theory, yeah, <laughs> somewhat in practice. Yeah, uh, it's another game that I love. Uh, I know it has flaws, but it's the one that made me go to narrative design. So, yeah, mm. um, the I, I I would love to see Avalanche going like traveling the world, trying to federate people to fight together against something that is threatening them, because that's what yeah. I would love to see in real life as well. <laughs> um, but uh, I think they will want something more, maybe epic or uh, linear, I guess. And so if you look at Final Fantasy VII and most JRPGs, the only character that is always in your team, well, unless when he's sick, uh, is Cloud. And the others are just companions. It's not about the team. It's about Cloud and his friend. It's not about the movement. Yeah, 
and that's that's where the the game fails into sending the mess the proper message because in the end it was cloud all along like the last moment you're playing is cloud alone against Sephiroth. yeah what the game leaves you with is this like i fought Sephiroth, and the video where you see red 13 running towards midgard uh 500 years later you're like yeah that that was just the final video i don't care uh so while some people and many people uh look at the narrative they look at it on a very uh, distant level uh thinking mm-hmm. yeah that's just fiction i don't care but final fantasy 7 could have had a huger impact um if it connected with them on a deeper level, which is the um, mechanical level, like if you could create your own team of people fighting together, because at the moment it's it's just nine folks fighting and one of them is more important because he's the hero. Right. And a lot of RPGs do that. Like you, you don't have to bring the protagonist. You can, you can, craft your own team of like which three characters are your protagonists uh, well jrpgs rarely do that um no there's always a leader in, in seven chrono chrono trigger did it final fantasy six did it oh yeah yeah indeed but more recently they they barely do it uh well i'm not playing every jrpg ever but uh you take any persona or shin megami tensei or the, the huge licenses, they all want you to uh, play the main character. And sometimes you just don't want to. Yeah. I just remembered, I, I think that the ending of Final Fantasy VI actually hits that collective vibe much better. I've never finished uh, it. Because, okay. Uh, I, I guess it's more like, for, first of all, you don't have a set protagonist like that, especially not towards the end of the game. You have probably three different people that have pretty good claims on being called the protagonist of Final Fantasy VI. Uh, and what what you have in the final battle is 14 characters lined up against a common enemy. Uh, none of them have any particular relationship with that enemy like Cloud does yep. with Sephiroth. It's more like the final boss of Final Fantasy VI sort of represents nihilism and the idea that nothing is worth fighting for. Yeah. And these 14 people have all suffered loss. I, I think that is what ties them together. They, they have all lost something irretrievable, uh, but they all have a reason to fight this enemy. Mm-hmm. When, when you talk about like what Final Fantasy VII could have been, I, I, that's, that's the kind of ending I, I imagine yeah. for, for a game that is less about the sort of personal vendetta of Cloud versus Sephiroth and more about how can we come together uh, to fight for the things we care about. Yeah. Well, they're fairly close on many other uh, places, I guess. Well, I think the thing that everyone should take from Final Fantasy VII but that was missed is uh, Love is All, I guess. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, um, Cloud says it in the end that it's not like being afraid for the human species that makes people move, but being afraid for their close ones. Yeah. And every character, what brings the team together in the game is love yep. in general. Um, uh, Cloud loves Aerith. Uh, Tifa loves Cloud. Uh, 
<laughs> Barrett loves uh, Marlene. Uh, Sid loves Shira and his dream as well. Um, Yuffie might be the exception, but she loves her culture and her resistance and her father, etc. So yeah. that's what they that's what brings them together in fighting for the planet. And that is kind of the final point of the game as well. Like yeah. Just before they, they go to the final battle, Cloud disperses the gang and says, don't come back if you don't figure out what you're fighting for. Yeah. Uh, and they all end up coming back. Yeah. Uh, and that's an amazing moment. Yeah. And, and, and it's important. I mean, I, I, I do think it, it's, it's very true that we, in order to do the kind of work that that we're, we're doing in the SIG, for example, it's, it's hard to do that if you're only motivated by like doing the right thing or, or having a, a better future for the planet a lot of the time uh, to, to unlock you know, the, the, the deeper resources uh, mm-hmm. mentally. Uh, you need a, a deeper emotional reason. I mean, for me, that's my son. I started doing this work months after my son was born because mm-hmm. he... he uh, uh, motivated me to uh, to uh, truly care about you know a longer time horizon than the next couple of years. Yeah. I had a great time talking about Final Fantasy. Uh, <laughs> I look forward to seeing you more around the around the SIG and around the Discord and and feel free to. Uh, I don't know where I was going with that, but <laughs> <laughs> thank you for inviting me. And uh, yeah, I, I'll be around and I try and share my knowledge as much as I can. Yay! Because sharing is caring and it's free. Yeah, we're happy to have you. <laughs> I'm happy to be there. It's been a few days now since we had this conversation. And I'm here still thinking about that monomyth. The idea of the lone hero is so outdated in so many ways, but it can be so hard to shake off. I'm thinking about a 40-something entrepreneur friend of mine. Even as he excitedly cheers the climate movement, he can't bring himself to take part because he doesn't know how to see himself as a part of a larger whole. And I think that's symptomatic of the generations that grew up in the neoliberal era and were taught to forge our own path and that if we put in the work, we could be whatever we wanted, unconstrained by the world around us. Games have played no small part in perpetuating that story. And I myself spent my teenage years and early adulthood sort of plotting my fame and fortune, thinking about how I could be the hero how I could change people's lives with my art. And in these fantasies, I was never a part of a larger art movement or political movement, but alone, untainted by others as this singular genius. When I joined the climate movement, remnants of that mindset was probably still my biggest hurdle. That I was throwing my lot in with this group, that I I wouldn't be perceived as an individual but as having given up my own voice, melting into the hive mind, just like StarCraft or System Shock and Halo have all taught me to fear. It occurs to me that my generation has been fed this idea that there is a conflict between integrity and community. There isn't. I mean, in the real world, they get along just fine, thank you. At one time, all this talk of the collective might have seemed like this socialist dog whistle. 
But I think if nothing else, the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic has made it quite clear to most of us that we must again learn to see ourselves as part of something greater. Part of that is like the obvious and visceral joy of companionship and sense of community that we miss so dearly now that we're forced into isolation. But I think COVID is also a stark reminder that there are problems that we just cannot deal with as individuals. After decades of increasingly harsh market fundamentalism, we're all coming to terms with the fact that, in the words of UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson of all people, there really is such a thing as society. And that realization opens the door to the kind of collaborative climate action that has been blocked by decades of individualist dogma. Now, it's true that humans have some serious psychological trouble empathizing with a collective. That's built into our brains. That's why we have the monomyth to start with, and so few stories about mass movements. We like our protagonists. Joseph Campbell's book that established the monomyth uh, is called The Hero with a Thousand Faces, because the same myth structure has emerged in countless human societies all over the planet throughout history. But I think now, for the first time in the history of human culture, we have a medium where you don't really have to empathize with a collective, because you get to be one. Games like Final Fantasy VI and the Suikoden series were unforgettable stories with a collective protagonist. Watch Dogs Legion, for all its blemishes, shows us a glimpse of the potential ahead. I think we can be a crucial part of telling a new type of story that is really itching to get told. Because Greta Thunberg is not solving the climate crisis for us. Bill Gates is not solving the climate crisis for us. You, dear listener, are not solving the climate crisis for us either, and neither am I, and that is okay. The responsibility is, alien as that might sound for many of us, shared. Unevenly shared, but undeniably. So maybe we aren't the heroes that we were brought up to believe we were. But if we collectively do what Cloud did and unlearn those expectations that hold us back, I think we can get to who we truly are underneath. Something more powerful, more beautiful, and more fun. Together, we can be the true hero with a thousand faces. This episode of Doing Our Bit was produced and hosted by me, Hugo Bille, edited by Joel Bille, and, would you know it, co-written by Climate Sig veteran Rebecca Pettersson. The music is from the album Rat Vader's Dream by Oscar Idelius and Niklas Åkeblad. Follow the link in the show notes to dive into the IGDA Climate Sig Discord, where we can keep talking about Final Fantasy, the climate crisis, and what gaming can do to help turn the tide. See you in two weeks. Bye.